Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 202 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Eliminating Selection Bias. Why is it so hard? Despite the very vocal and public focus on diversity and inclusion in the last 10 plus years, it still appears to be a huge struggle for most organisations. It appears that the inertia created by the entrenched structures, processes and attitudes are way harder to overcome than anyone might have imagined. As with any change, overcoming inertia is critical. 
speed and momentum are necessary prerequisites for change, which is why trying to do things incrementally is so often inadequate. I hear some CEOs say that they believe in evolution, not revolution. This seems to be a mindset that guarantees you're going to go nowhere. When it comes to diversity, many countries, industries and businesses have put rules in place to encourage speed of adoption and to accelerate the rate of change. Once again, clearly not working in most cases. Now in the US, the National Football League, or the NFL as it's known, put in place something called the Rooney Rule almost 20 years ago. The Rooney Rule was designed to eliminate selection bias against African-American coaches in their sport, but it's recently come under severe criticism. It's not really the rule itself that's the issue, but more the way it's being applied by team owners and front office management. Are they genuinely adhering to the rule or just paying lip service to it? Today, we look at some of the more difficult elements of selection bias and how to address them at all levels of your organisation. So I'll start with a little background on the Rooney Rule. Then I'm going to drill into some of the dynamics of selection bias. And I'll finish by sharing my seven big tips for attacking this wicked problem. So let's get into it. At the end of the last NFL season, Brian Flores, an African-American coach, was sacked from his job as head coach of the Miami Dolphins. So he's in the market for a new job. But earlier this year, he brought a discrimination lawsuit against the NFL for the way the governing body and the 32 NFL teams handle coaching staff appointments. Flores said in the complaint, The NFL remains rife with racism. The racial discrimination has only been made worse by the NFL's disingenuous commitment to social equity. In one part of the complaint, he even goes so far as to say that in many ways the NFL is managed like a plantation, where all white owners watch games from their luxury boxes, reaping in billions of dollars, while the majority black workforce puts their bodies on the line every week. Ouch! But he makes good point. In his lawsuit, Flores alleges that he was called up for a sham interview by the New York Giants for the head coaching position there, even though the team had already decided to hire another white candidate. And he has the text messages to prove it. I read a great article early this year on Business Insider by Aki Ito, which we'll leave a link to in the show notes if you're interested. It gives a great summary of the issues at hand and offers some very sensible solutions. So I'm going to draw on that article in part during this episode. The Rooney Rule was implemented by the NFL in 2003. In an attempt to increase diversity in coaching positions, the rule stipulates that for any head coaching job, the panel running the selection process has to interview at least one person of colour for that job. The idea was that this would result in more diverse representation in head coaching roles and eliminate some of the obvious selection bias. The Rooney Rule seemed to have some initial success and was even adopted by businesses like Amazon and Facebook, which put their own versions of the rule in place. But as I record this episode today, there are only three head coaches of colour out of the 32 NFL teams. So after almost 20 years, it seems there isn't anything that remotely resembles a level playing field. Players of colour make up 70% of the NFL playing ranks, but less than 10% of the teams are currently headed by coaches of colour. Now interestingly, because of the highly quantitative nature of performance in sport, 
a lot of research has been undertaken to determine if there is systemic bias in the NFL. And look, apparently there is. With the focus on head coaching jobs, there's little to regulate what goes on below that on the coaching staff. One piece of research found that black coaches were 88% less likely than white coaches to get promoted to the coordinator level, which is the level immediately below head coach, their direct reports, so to speak. And this was even when they had similar levels of performance and experience. So in other words, the disadvantage for black coaches is already baked into the system by the time they're up for the top job, because the discrimination starts far earlier, preventing most of them from ever getting there. Now, before I dive into the systemic bias in hiring, there's one other point that I think it's important to make in the interests of balance. Flores claims that he was discriminated against by the Miami Dolphins, who he claims wouldn't have sacked him if he were white. He says that with his win-loss record, many other white coaches would have kept their jobs. It reminded me of a number of high-profile cases in business over the past couple of years, where people claimed to have been sacked purely because they were female and that if they were male, they'd still have their job. Look, this may or may not be true. It's really easy to cry foul and pile onto the bandwagon of righteousness when claims like this are made. But in my experience in the corporate world, this generally wasn't the case, particularly in the last 10 years or so, where boards and management teams have become more aware of the consequences of taking discriminatory action. Often these events are more driven by fear and incompetence than they are discrimination. Now, in Flores' own statement, he gives a couple of examples where he had significant differing of opinion with the team owner of the Dolphins. So, was he sacked prejudicially because he's black? Was he sacked because he clashed with the owner? Was he sacked because his win-loss record wasn't considered good enough? Was he sacked because his star players underperformed? Was he sacked because the front office team management didn't think he had the capability to build a Super Bowl winning team? Was it a combination of all of these, or was it something else entirely? I guess we'll never know, but the point is, there's always more to this than meets the eye. It's really easy to falsely attribute an event or an outcome to a single cause. And let's face it, whether we're talking about senior corporate executives or NFL coaches, these guys aren't being paid minimum wage. They're at the top of their game pardon the pun, in the rarefied air where markets reward performance above all else. Head coaching jobs in the NFL attract salaries of 5 to $10 million per year. In pretty much any senior role, you'll be hired under an employment contract. And that contract will have a number of clauses dealing with how the employment arrangement can be terminated. Most contracts have what I like to call a lover's gone clause. Think of it like a no-fault divorce. When the lover's gone, either side can opt to terminate the contract after a certain notice period is given and certain financial payments are made. This is pretty routine, and I've relied on these clauses in the past. Now, lover's gone terminations are different to terminations for cause, in other words, as a result of poor performance. But when you sign one of these contracts, unless you're incredibly naive, you know what it means. I'll be paid to do this job only as long as I'm doing it really well and delivering value for the people who pay me. It's that simple. It's not personal. It's most often not prejudicial, although it can be. 
But this, my friends, comes with a territory. Okay, let's drill into some of the dynamics of selection bias. There's no doubt that systemic bias exists in hiring. But sometimes, even with the best intentions, it's really difficult to improve diversity. Quite often, you're simply dealing with a shallow pool of talent. Now, in our NFL example, the concept that you don't have enough people of colour who have the experience to be head coaches is clearly ridiculous. They make up the lion's share of the NFL player roster. But there are some industries where this is not the case. For example, in engineering and technology-based industries, the pool of candidates is still predominantly male. Now, this probably starts quite early on in life, as girls have traditionally been steered away from the STEM disciplines in their education choices. Fortunately, this is now changing pretty rapidly. But when I was running CS Energy, only 13%, that's 1-3% of the engineering talent graduating from universities, were female. Is it any wonder that you don't see women dominating the leadership ranks of these types of companies? The difference, though, isn't as simple or as obvious as it might seem. Sure, we had issues with being able to find females who had the experience or background to fill many of the more senior roles, but there were forces acting in the organisation that made this harder than it should have been, even allowing for the scarcity of the female candidate pool. Let me give you an example of selection bias in action. We were looking for a strong project manager to lead the overhaul project at one of our power stations. There were several candidates, one of whom was female. She was an excellent project manager, probably better than most we had at the time. Now, the hiring manager, who was accountable for the overall asset management process, was two layers removed from me. And he had some pretty firm ideas about the requirements of this project management role. Now, one of those requirements was that the project manager had to live on site in central Queensland for the duration of the overhaul itself. With the young family, and as the main caregiver, it wasn't possible for that female project manager to spend a couple of months away from home. And the hiring manager, like all of us, tended to hire in his own image. So he recommended a male who was able to relocate for the duration of the project. And this guy typically worked long, hard hours, and he was a good operator. But I wasn't happy with the selection. The one-over-one sign-off fell to an executive who reported to me. So I had a quiet word to him and suggested that the PM didn't have to be on site for the full duration of the overhaul project. I asked him to go away and think about a way to build some more flexibility into the role itself so that we could appoint the female candidate. He came back to me a day or two later, having spoken to the hiring manager, and he reinforced to me all the reasons why the role needed to be filled by someone who could live at site full time. And this was pre-COVID, so I wonder if that might change today. In any case, the executive chose to support the hiring manager with the decision, which I guess is understandable because jumping in and overruling him would have had other serious consequences. And it wasn't like we were getting an inferior candidate. But the moral of the story is, when you have entrenched beliefs and attitudes at lower levels of the organisation, it acts as a barrier to progress, not just for women, but for any minority group that's not the typical appointee. That homogenous, safe candidate is often effectively greenlit all the way through the process. It's sometimes hard to find the right candidate that will improve outcomes through diversity. 
but it's even harder to change the mindset of those who occupy those positions of power who are making the decision. Perhaps Brian Flores is bringing attention to that point now. All right, this is all fun and interesting, but how would you reduce or remove the biases that exist in your selection processes? Well, I've taken a grab bag of seven ideas from a range of sources that represent some pretty practical and manageable steps. We can all do these things if we're serious about eliminating selection bias. Number one, look at diversity through a wide angle lens. If you see diversity just as gender balance or cultural diversity or minority group representation, you'll potentially focus on the wrong things and make mistakes in the other direction. It's also really easy to discount a diverse candidate when you make it a binary choice. Do I hire the man, the choice that makes me feel comfortable, or the woman, the choice that I feel is risky? Looking at all types of diversity leads you to think of candidates who are not me. And that's a better place to come from. So think about this. Diversity of experience in different technical disciplines. Diversity of industry experience. Diversity of company size. Diversity of the countries the candidate has worked in. Diversity of personality types. I could go on and on. Once you start looking, you can find a way to add more value to almost any team by bringing in fresh ideas and new ways of working. And these only come with diversity. Tip number two, diversify the hiring committee. You can't hire in your own image if there are multiple images to satisfy. So having more diverse selection committees can often remove the natural prejudices that we all subconsciously carry around. Bringing balance to the committee can bring balance to the shortlist, and it can bring balance to your ultimate selection. Tip number three, give your diverse hiring committee blind resumes. Now for some roles, blind resumes work really well. These are the resumes that don't have names attached, so you have no idea whether someone is male or female, or if they're from a certain cultural or ethnic background. Admittedly, this would be a bit of a struggle for something as high profile and as publicly transparent as NFL coaching jobs. But for many situations, this removes a layer of selection bias that often lurks just below the surface. Tip number four, take longer to hire. One of the criticisms of the process for hiring NFL coaches is that it all happens in a bit of a flurry. At the end of the regular season, teams start announcing the sacking of the coaches who haven't lived up to expectations. And it becomes very obvious very quickly who's in the market, in terms of both buyers and sellers. The teams that need coaches move really quickly to secure the best candidates. And it's highly likely that the pressure to decide quickly forces selection biases to be even stronger. Now, if you can wait a little longer for the right candidate, then wait. On more than one occasion as a senior executive, after doing all the shortlisting and interviews, I decided I didn't like any of the candidates. So I sent the executive search firm back for another round of the market. You have to live with these decisions for a really long time, so don't rush them. Tip number five, preset the hiring criteria. Now, if you do this, you're less likely to eliminate or discount unfavourable variables, those that don't match your image of what the candidate should look like. You can easily fall prey to attribution bias. A big criticism of some business research 
is that it suffers from attribution bias. One of my favourite books is The Halo Effect by Phil Rosenzweig. In it, he uncovers this as a key failure of research in books like Good to Great. The researchers take an outcome and then they interview the protagonists to retrospectively attribute the reasons for success. This is not the same as the traditional research discipline of having a hypothesis and then a range of predetermined dependent and independent variables. Using preset selection criteria in hiring and evaluating the candidates rigorously against those criteria helps to avoid selection bias. Tip number six, grow your talent from below as well. The only way to implement long-term solutions is to make structural changes to the way the organisation works. Now, in the case of the NFL, this would require the Rooney Rule to be extended to all levels of coaching and all areas of non-player performance, including the front office staff. In CS Energy, the only way we could reliably get executive-ready females was to bring them in at lower levels and support their development through the early parts of their career. Is it slow? Well, sure. But that's what's going to make the long-term difference so the structural inequities are eventually removed. When we combine this with the other six measures, this isn't an either-or. It's an and. Finally, tip number seven. Think of the best person for the team, not the best person for the job. There's definitely a premium for diversity, as long as you can harness and draw out the value it brings. And this takes a leadership approach that makes inclusion and robust challenge an essential part of your culture. Sometimes, if you evaluate a candidate based purely on the criteria of the role itself, you'll arrive at one answer. But when you start thinking not just about what the role requires, but also what you need to add to the team to make it better, this can help you to quantify the diversity premium. Thinking of the team lets you factor this premium into your decisions. We're all subject to many unconscious biases. In episode 192 a few months ago, I looked at a number of these and how they work behind the scenes to skew our perceptions. Selection processes are the rare opportunity you're given to improve the quality and performance of your team. You don't want to risk that because of a hidden bias you can't control. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 202. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. I know that many of you have been sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing the podcasts, and we're reaching hundreds of thousands of leaders all over the world. That's a huge amount of impact, so thank you for spreading the word of no bullshit leadership. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode, Responding to Disruptive Innovation. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no bullshit leader. <laughs>